Hello and welcome to the Music Survival Guide, the independent musician's guide on how to survive in the music industry. My name's Phil, a mixing and mastering engineer with Vortis Sound Studios. This week on the podcast, I've got an interview with not one, not two, but three members of Land Captains. So it's a bit crazy, uh, but it's a really good interview. They're a great Bristol-based rock band that are well worth a listen. If you haven't heard their EP Delta, which came out at the beginning of this year, I would say go and do so. It's a great EP, well worth a listen. But first, don't do that. Listen to this interview. I think there's a lot to take away for people in bands, a lot to learn. So without any further ado, here is Land Captains. Today, I am joined by three members of Land Captains. Who are you and how are you? Uh, hello, I'm Hugo. And to the left of me, we have... Sarah. Sarah, the singer who's the quiet one. And to the right of me, we have... Hi, I'm Justin. I use the bass. I play the guitar and Sarah does the singing. Uh, and and I'm, I'm, I'm all right. I think we're all all right. Yeah, I'm chilling. We've had days. Days yeah. have, have, have been and gone. About as well as you can during an international pandemic, I suppose, would be the, the appropriate answer. On the whole, that's fair. How are you, Phil? I ooh, turned the question around already. Question yeah, one. I'm going to do that. I'm, I'm very good. I've got a cup of tea, so I'm very Aww. happy. Aww. Cheers. Basically. You've got cider, that's different. Yeah, like, how come you're allowed cider? It's like tea, it's like but, tea, but, you know, you're okay, the worst guitarist ever. Okay, first of all, we have more cider. If you want cider, you're welcome to get it. <laughs> he says after we've started recording. Well, yeah, can we pause <laughs> midway through for cider right now? <laughs> if you want, I can happily put Don't you want cider? Oh, right, for now. Oh, fine. I'm get one in a minute. Cool, right, so, yes, we are land captains. We are people, we are good, and hopefully you are good too with your tea. Excellent. Yes. Yes, I'm very well. So how did the band get together? That's a great place to start. We go together. We got together. Um, <laughs> so, so Sarah and I uh, are an item. And yes, but we're also from the same hometown. We are from the same hometown and we and we played in a band together and we were aware of like, each other musically. At the time, I was more of like a drummer. You've always been a singer, songwriter, yeah, but first, like the first band we were in together, you were playing drums, mm. and then we started uh, after we started seeing each other. We started <gasps> writing songs together. Yeah, and then it got to a point where because Hugo was drummer for a band called Fragile Things, and they ended up going on hiatus, didn't they? Yeah, and at that point we just thought we've got these songs we've written. Yeah. I'm currently out of band. You want to get back yeah, into doing band stuff. Yeah, you withdrawal. Yeah. So we Which decided I'm, to push ahead with this. I'm currently experiencing big, we all are, big, yeah. big withdrawal yeah. at the moment. Yeah, so we did that. We decided now's the time. Let's yeah. just do a thing. And then put an advert out. And Justin... Yes, came along. Justin Hello. appeared <laughs> after sort of returning to the country. Because you've been here for a couple of years before, haven't you? So I, I lived in the UK. I've lived in the UK off and on now for like six-ish odd years, roughly. I had got back into the UK in, like, March 2019. Saw the ad, sent message, and then got Sarah got back to me uh, a couple of months, like a month or so, a month-ish later. Turns out we'd <laughs> met each other once before at another gig I'd played, but don't really remember because I was very drunk at the time. As but, was um, I, to yeah. Be But, yeah, I joined, yeah, uh, about April... Yeah, April 2019. Um, it, was, it was hilarious, actually. He came to the audition, sat down, and he went, I'm going to level with you. I'm only interested in being a session musician. Yeah. This is, this is all just about, I'm going to play gigs and I'm going to make money. It wasn't and quite phrased You were that. quite it like that. basically was... that. A month later, and he was all in, sleeping on floors and writing songs for this and just... Didn't take long then. No, not Yeah, at if you look back at Justin <laughs> from then... You'd be like, my dude, no money has been made. <laughs> Welcome to I should have remember I should have, I should have remembered that being a musician basically doesn't involve actual currency, but you know. Uh, but yeah, like it's then it was basically that from there on in, really, and we've like done the thing ever since, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Sarah, you put out uh, an advert for yeah. band members to come along and join. And I've actually met several bands lately who are looking for band members. So how did you write that? What did you write to make it an appealing advert rather than one of the many? I think, I think to be honest, I mean, I put something about the sort of thing we wanted to do. We knew it was going to be kind of groovy rock. 
because um, that's what we write with a variety of different influences. So put up a couple of influences. But I think the main thing was just just to be quite honest and quite ourselves because there's nothing worse than band ads <clears throat> that read as really, really pretentious. Um, as as the one who replied to the ad, uh, having an actual track up to listen to was a good That's reference true, yeah. point. Yeah, yeah um, we, we had the demo. Yeah, yeah, like there was a demo up of Automatic. It was arguably like you know the ad was pretty succinct in what it was saying, but it was just actually having a song to kind of get into an idea of what you're walking into. I guess from the other side of it was probably the the biggest selling point to it all. Really, mm. um, you get know, it like with loads of like loads of band ads that kind of go out there with people like yeah we've got this project and they kind of describe it with a bunch of different words, but until you actually hear something mm. in like in some context, like you're really just spitballing as to what you're walking into, you know. And obviously, like group social dynamics is a thing, but ultimately, if the tunes aren't good, then it's What's really, really hard. Yeah, it's hard to sure. walk into it, an originals project and really vibe into it mm-hmm. um, if you don't have any kind of reference point to start with. You, know? you get together and you get into the rehearsal room for the first time. What happens then? Do you, do you have some songs that you start jamming? Do you work on some covers? What where do you begin? Well, we began with the backlog of songs that I've written over the last couple of years. So it turns out, so I he is a rather prolific songwriter. So, you. so <laughs> at, at the time of the band's done starting, we had about a hundred demos that I'd written and recorded, and I was like, right, let's pick our favourites out of these. These are the ones that we've already said we want to do, and that was basically the EP. Mm-hmm. So the EP that we put out uh, beginning of this year. God, was only the beginning of this year. <laughs> oh, God, that's terrifying. It feels like a million years ago. The EP that's out now was basically stuff that had sort of been pre-written. I mean, when Justin came along, he changed like the bass parts on it. And mm-hmm. Jamie, the drummer we had, he um, uh, put his sort of vague spin on things as well. Yeah, but I think, I think the main thing is that they were songs. They had vocals and everything by that point. Mm. And we did that rather than rather than playing any covers. Justin, do you remember? Did we actually... We did any... one cover. We did one game. Like, for the that. first gig we played, we did the viol- um, that Blackstone Cherry we track. Violator Girl. And, oh, no, no, and we had to learn, we learned a few for the Worthing gig because we had yeah. to learn, they wanted us to play a lot longer than the material we'd written. Oh, yeah, that first... <laughs> That first kick <laughs> we were offered was, was about an hour long set. Yeah, they wanted, no, it was, I thought they wanted longer because we ended up learning like four or five tracks. Yeah, because we had like yeah. six or Suck seven tracks kiss, at that point. Yeah, it was like Suck My Kiss, um, Audio Save Track. There was another one, I think. Yeah, like it was just like, yeah, Show Me How to Live by Audio Slave. Yeah. And um, Violet well, There you go. Violet I obviously girl. blanked all of those covers out of my memory. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, that was fun. And we've done covers then two of our gigs ever but everything else we've done originals because that's what we do well and also we've got so many of them yeah it's writing things so i think it's also just like as we because uh, obviously sarah and you were so established in their songwriting sort of partnership and i've and, and as sort of it's progressed further we've started like collaborating more collect like between all of us on on the new material that we've been working on and so there's like i think there's another layer of like creative evolution that's kind of happening as a result of all of us kind of being involved and not just you and Sarah as well you know when it comes to songwriting more collaboratively which you said you're doing kind of this time round what does that actually look like because <laughs> there's a lot of bands who will want to write in say by like jamming in the rehearsal studio and there's other bands who just find that impossible it just it's a load of creative nonsense to some people so what does that look like for you do you do it jamming or do you write more intentionally I think, it's part and part i guess yeah i think to be honest it tends to start with one person having an idea of a riff or yeah. a bass line or for me a, a vocal melody and then we bring that to the band and jam that through together so it, it does have a, a starting idea from one person but then we tend to develop it in a room jamming it out together and people start throwing in ideas yeah yeah definitely until we hit on something that works it's certainly more fun writing than like that than just than just here's a song learn dictating. it yeah yeah i think it's, it's just not always a, easier but it's, no. it's yeah, yeah it's but i think it, you know it's um we all have in the sort of individual strengths as right as as creatives in one direction or another but i think kind of means that there's Never one sort of like you know it's kind of down, like the last sort of track we worked on. Sarah kind of took mass creative direction on, but that was kind of where you you had the the idea of where to take it, and I think mm-hmm. that's kind of 
you know, well, it's nice. Your... It's nice to be an in an environment where if you have an idea, you can run with it because you're with people that encourage you to do that. And whoever of us it is that has that idea and has that creative spark, we can just plough forwards and everyone else jumps on board. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. You guys are awesome. <laughs> That's nice to hear. So it's about creating a a collaborative environment as well where you you'll feel free to bring ideas and share them yeah definitely mm. yeah no and I, I, I think that's probably helped by when when we like jam an idea in the studio or like when we try and put something together i've generally tried to like get home and demo it get the parts down get a rough idea of like the drum rhythms that are going on or the bass parts and the guitar parts and or stuff or try just and like, record it while we're in there or try just... and record it while we're in there i mean because <laughs> otherwise you forget well yeah exactly and then i think that's why some people find it impossible because they'll go oh yeah that jam was cool this whole riff was like wait what was the riff <laughs> ah and that's the story of the majority of my life but now where we can just plonk a phone in the middle of the room and go right record let's do the thing it'll sound awful mm. but it gives you an idea of what you're doing or you know, get home and do a quick demo of it and go, yeah, that's what it was. That's true, actually. I mean, I remember 10 years ago playing with bands and you couldn't just record on your phone in the studio not and have something you could hear anything mm. and yeah. pull from. Yeah, so we're absolutely. quite lucky, actually, that we can do Massively that now. So. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Otherwise, think of all the tunes that would vanish <laughs> into the sands of time. You said you started off with quite a, a long first gig, all things considered, with a, a long slot to fill. Would you say, looking back, that that was a mistake? Or would you said all the way along, yeah, we'd have done a set that long if we got the choice, whatever? Well, the weird, we were talking about that earlier. We were off of that gig and we are like, oh, okay. So we were sort of like prepping towards yeah. it. And then we got offered a gig two weeks before then. <laughs> Yeah, so we actually, we ended up playing a, a short set. So that was a half hour set, lines, wasn't it? Tram Lines Festival in Sheffield. So we did a half hour set there two weeks earlier than we were prepared for. So we were just like, ah, and cram think, the things. I think doing the longer set was challenging, but in a good way. However, I'm saying that knowing, as I do now, that we were coming off the back of having done a shorter set. If that had turned out to be the first Gig oh yeah, made. we would have absolutely train wrecked. It probably would yeah. have there's, done uh, there's, as well. There's, there's such a general stamina that you develop from from just the more mm. you gig because you know rehearsing in a studio you can do for six hours a day and you know you can get the songs really solid, but there is just a fundamental growth and development that happens when you're in a, on a stage dynamic because it is just one take wonder kind of moment, you know. Um, and I think that's yeah, straight up. If we I mean, we were it, we were in this in a studio a couple of weeks ago doing a, a live set where they were recording the video for it. Mm. And I, I realised, because now we haven't gigged for over six months, I was just losing my breath. I was sort of two, three songs in going, oh, my God, is well, it the end yet? <laughs> Can I it, sit down and have a go? It's because we were trying to, like, move around and make it look quite giggy. And because of that, like, I was, I was like, eating my own sweaty hair from hair banging. <laughs> I was like out of breath I kept falling over myself moving around with the guitar I was like this is impossible I feel drunk and I wasn't yeah. even drunk at that time forgetting all of our lyrics it was it was a bit of a mess <laughs> I remember my lyrics thank you very much I have very few of them did you remember the guitar lines though? some of them uh, some of them yeah I'll be honest I'm really glad I don't start any of the songs particularly because I, I have moments <laughs> where we started a few of them and I've gone like because oh, we haven't gigged in a while and you just go I think it's this. Um, it sounds like it's in this yeah, key. Yeah, I'm not sure. Well, you know, you're roughly in the key. You're kind of there. I don't. Um, I was in a covers band once, and we uh, we started playing Superstition at half speed. Oh, yeah, oh, that was an experience. I've played Johnny Be Good at almost double speed. I think That's everyone in the cover band has done double speed. Either yeah. played at like boring tempo or eight thousand BPM. Yeah. Like, I think it just shouldn't let's be played anymore. Yeah, let's never do. <laughs> Carrying on with the theme of gigs, you all represent in various ways different instruments in a sort of typical rock band, be it voice, guitar, bass, drums. How do you prep for a gig? As in, how do you warm up for a gig? That's probably my question. We'll start with you because you're, Sarah's like the only one who really warms up. 
Probably. Yeah, I mean, I'm... Well, yeah. <laughs> well, okay, we'll come back to you. I'm going to start with, with Sarah. Well, I'm a largely self-taught singer, and certainly back in the day, back when I was young, I never warmed up, and I learned the hard way that that's a very bad idea. So certainly with this project, from the beginning, I quite firmly put my foot down and said, right... I don't, I don't care where we are or what we're doing. I'm going and sitting in the car and running through my warm-up CD at the top of my voice and stretching and kind of making sure I know what I'm doing. And it's made a huge difference. I wouldn't want to go on stage without doing that. But then it's the same thing as not checking your instrument before you go on. If you'd put yeah. new strings on and not stretch them out or something. Then you're up a creek without a paddle. Yeah, exactly. Quite. Justin, how do you warm up as you're so offended that I didn't didn't mention you? No, I do. Like, I have have my own sort of set, my own little set of, like, warm-up exercises I do for, like, left hand, right hand. But I actually was mildly... The thought process I actually had, and I sort of clocked to from... I've been playing long enough now to have a set up, a a, a warm-up routine. Um, But there is a tendency every now and again to over-warm-up, which I find is a real factor unto itself as well. I, I try to be mindful of of you know, definitely warm up. But if you warm up too much um, or sort of push your hands too hard too quickly, like, and again, there's like a lot of stamina that goes into playing those longer sets. And when you're performing as well, there, there can be a tendency to kind of get like, I find, kind of get your hands a bit, like your hands will deteriorate a lot. My hands deteriorate a lot quicker as the set goes on from kind of pushing too hard in the warm up. So it's a balance between, you know, that. And it's hard at times when you've got gigs that are kind of, more excited for like when you know you've got a really good crowd for a night or you know there's a if you know you're getting filmed or something there's a kind of tendency to kind of really want to be like nailing it and sort of overcompensate but really basic stuff running scales you know arpeggios all that kind of really basic fundamental stuff but just getting the hands just limber is kind of my my big thing yes and Hugh just turns up I yeah I I, I show up and make noises like <laughs> no, there's probably more to it than that. It's been so long since I've had to warm up for a gig that I'm like struggling to remember. I, similar to Justin, in the way. He thinks he's better than all of us. He doesn't oh, need to warm oh, up. Oh, <laughs> right. Okay. Let me talk you through my. I mean, the irony, the irony being, now. he is better than all of us, but that's not the point. <laughs> no, like, again, like, it's all like left hand, right hand. I'll, I'll try a lot of like alternating picking stuff. So if I'm trying to warm up with my right hand, I'll be going through like doing alternating picking on all different strings, left hand, sort of running through like different scales. I quite like doing like the one, two, three, two, three, four, because I go three notes up, one note back. Like a permutations type thing. Yeah, yeah, like permutating scales is quite... Yeah, I'm a big one. It's a bit of like a sort of mind thing as well as a finger thing, as it were. I sometimes do that, but it's been so long that I actually can't remember, really. So yeah, we've forgotten what gigs look like, yeah. feel like, sound. I like. haven't smelled like beer and sweat in so long and it's made oh, me really depressed. I did walk past a pub earlier and it had the pub smell. Mm. You know, like the beer stained carpets that have been there for twenty years and that like weird, men who don't wash. She's not even crisp. And she's yeah. not crisp. And that weird combination of sweat and vomit. Yeah. Like, and, and and a bit of Dettol just like vaping yeah. up. But that wafted out of the door and I was like, oh my god, it smells like a venue. Oh, <laughs> It smells like something I miss, even though it's absolutely repugnant. I was looking after a friend's kids earlier, and one of them spilt yogurt all over the floor. Oh. And I, was, I know, and it, I had to walk across it to go and get a mop to clean it up. And it was, I went, oh, sticky floor. This is a blast <laughs> from the past. That's a feeling we haven't had for a little while. Yeah. I love how we went from the smell of beer, vomit, and Dettol, and you went, oh yeah, we had the kids earlier, around earlier. <laughs> That's a nice sort of smooth transition. For any Americans listening, and I know you are out there, um, because I have checked the stats, that is what a British venue smells and feels like. I yeah. wish, I, you can't tell me Americans don't have a similar smell, sure. I don't know. I don't know. I've never been. Let us know, fans of Amer- fans from America. Fans of America. Fans of America, <laughs> fans from America. Just America. Just files. just tell us what what your venues smell like. Yeah. If they smell different to beer, a bit of vomit and some cleaning material, I'd love to know. Does it smell like freedom? I think it smells like freedom. America, how did you smell? <laughs> Yeah, I'm not going to make political outright jokes. Anyway. No, let's move on to the next thing before we get political on this. Very well. Have you had any nightmare experience gigs where it all just kind of 
went wrong in one way or another? And if so, how did you recover sort of in the moment? Or did you recover? I'm getting very drunk. Was how I recovered. Um, yeah, going for a drink with the bar staff afterwards. That yeah, was, yeah. That, that was what we did. So, um, you remember it better. We were talking about this earlier. Was it Doncaster we were talking about? We were, yeah. Doncaster. We played at a venue there, which I remain nameless because I still like that venue and I wouldn't want to tarnish their. No, it, it thing. was a bit of. It was badly timed because the races were the next day or something. There was some big major like horse yeah. racing on the next day or something yeah. as well. So, very few people were out. They'd run out of beer. Oh. Virtually everything on the bar was off. Uh, we so. we hit like savage traffic driving north. Oh yeah, the actual the actual so drive. Was what awful. was supposed to be like a five hour drive became like seven ish because well, it, was it was like supposed, the, it was supposed to be sort of three hours or something. It, it was, was a pretty hefty. Yeah, drive. it was yeah. just torrential downpour like the entire run up the up, up to like yeah the north and it was just horrible for that. And yeah, we did the gig. And, and there were few people really there when we did our set because we were supporting. But then when the headliner came on, there was just us. And we were just like, Which oh. just makes you feel worse. Oh, my dudes. You ploughed through your set. Yeah. That hasn't been brilliant because there isn't much of a crowd. You're all exhausted. Oh, and cetera, the, cetera. the sound was terrible and the monster um, didn't work. But yeah. And then you, you can't leave and get some fresh air or have a drink because no. there isn't any drink. And because that's what everybody else has done. And you're just like, and my dudes. And you're going, no, I want to support the headline band. I can't just leave. So, so we, we concluded the evening with going to a, another bar that did have drink. After the headline band. Uh, after they, they'd done, <laughs> after that, all that sort of stuff. We went, we, we, we met some really cool people there. And we had, we had we I think, actually, a I fun mean, night. That ended up as one of the best nights as a band that we've had. So. It was a really nice bonding experience. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is still quite early on in our gigging time. An this experience. Is like, it was an experience. It it's was, just what you do with it. Yeah, it was an experience. Yeah, and the way we recovered. Like, certainly like during playing, like we had bad sounds and it was like not a fun vibe, but I don't think we had like any nightmare stuff where like drum kits break or anything. <laughs> we, we haven't had any like stuff mid-set that's really messed no, with us. I suppose not. We've been quite lucky. In the, well, I say lucky, we've just been really well prepared, frankly. Which is the thing. Well, like, being also, prepared is the thing. I hate to say so, but fairly low expectations. I mean, we're used to, <laughs> <laughs> we're used to playing your kind of proper grassroots, tiny little venues Toilet. where you're lucky yeah. if you get a monitor on stage. Yeah. And the sound, you know, you yeah, don't have a professional you get to... sound man. You have a member of bar staff who likes music. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's almost more confusing when you get good gear at a, at a venue than yeah, that oh, you off more. I can yeah. hear, I can hear the vocals clearly. <laughs> yeah. Was it you or Jamie? I remember one gig where you, I think it was Jamie, suddenly had a monitor. And, and when I got really distracted mid song because I could suddenly hear what you were singing about, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I forgot my drum part. How do you prepare well for a gig to avoid those kinds of emergencies where things break and things like that? Well, I always take two guitars because even if I don't use the other one, it's always just, you, you never know when you're, when the string's going to break or when the electrics decide to have 25 minutes. When we went to do this live set the other day, okay. you brought one. <laughs> I did, we were doing the in the studio live set, only one, well, because I re-strung it the week before okay, and I was like, down. the strings are fine. Down, you're fine. And it's been Breathe. so long. Sometimes it's just just kind of owning it, I think, in an abstract kind of way, rather than sort of trying to play through. You know, we've we've done shows before where um, you know, pedal board's been unplugged midway through because someone's been moshing too hard, and like sometimes you just have to kind of bite the bullet and kind of just accept that you're not going to be able to recover for a second and just have to like fix it up and then kind of carry on. Yeah. Um, you know, like it's it's kind of part and part of the parcel. Like again, it's it's the grassroots venues can be frustrating for those reasons, but that's also why we love them. Yeah, like I think, yeah. they, I think they keep you humble in a really lovely way because like that sort of stuff is a thing that you have to worry about. Oddly, yeah, but it's like mid set at our EP launch, someone while moshing moshed into me, knocking me back, knocking my ass into the amp, which nearly knocked the head off mid-song, like the head off the cab. And I saved it by holding a cord with my left hand and like grabbing the amp head with my right. And I was like, this is like seconds from disaster. But also I was just thinking, this almost happened because someone was enjoying the music too much, which is like not yeah. a bad thing in any way, shape a, or form. If you're going to have a, a stage fall apart, that's a pretty good yeah, reason. Better, yeah, better to do it with a fully crowded house than to like play a really, really flawless gig to three people. Yeah. yeah.
if you find yourself in a gig situation, which you clearly have, where you're playing to what looks like or feels like an empty room, how do you keep the energy up when there's nearly nobody there? The the singer my album had a really good way of saying it in the like, if there's no one there, imagine it's being broadcast and you're in a TV studio. Because when you're doing it for a TV performance, ultimately there's going to be no one there, but you have to still perform like there's a million people watching. I I see. That doesn't help me. Uh, Does that make you more nervous? Well, yes. Because then it it feels like there's this huge expectation and you have to force an atmosphere. I tend to find I, I get the best performance to an empty room when I sort of try and ignore the fact that it's an empty room and I just treat it as a rehearsal, that I'm just playing for you guys. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, for, for me personally, I've kind of, my my stage junkie drive comes far more for myself and I perform the way I do it shows because I enjoy it. It's kind of not really about the people in the audience. As horrible as it sounds, I don't mean it to. It's just, it's an, like performing is an escapism for me, far and beyond anything else. So... One person in a room, a thousand people in the room. Like, I just want to headbang and jump around like a six-year-old. Like that, <laughs> that's my whole jam in life, you know. So, but, well, that and also, like from my perspective, because I've got hair. Whenever I'm playing live, the hair is normally in my face. I can't really see who's uh, in the room or not. Yeah, exactly. it's, it's just when I start. <laughs> it is being, a good saving grace, actually. Like, <laughs> it's just when the I start. Thing about stage lights. But as well. it, it's like when I just start doing backing vocals, and that's like the first time I'm looking up for like a good maybe ten seconds. I'm like, oh, there's no one here. More hair. More I mean, the best gigs are when you can interact with an audience. Oh, oh God, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. But if yeah. you can't, I think we have a strong enough we have a strong enough bond and yeah. friendship between all of us. Not just about the you know the riffs themselves; it's the people who play the riffs that make it worthwhile as well. We love you too, Justin. It's so emotional. I'm saying that so they don't swear at me later. <laughs> we will anyway. Yeah, they will, and that's the thing. But I try. Back in your box, Justin. Yeah. Wow. Justice for bassists, that's what I say. Yeah, there's not enough of it. <laughs> Speaking as a bassist. I know, right? Preach, my dude. So, moving over to uh, recording. How do you record yourselves? Because there's loads of different ways of doing that kind of thing nowadays. Yes. We're uh, just both going to look at you for this one. So, recording... <laughs> basically, it's... it's it's. I was about to say it's bestowed upon me. It's not bestowed upon me. I, I bestow it on myself. I enjoy the art of recording. This isn't to say I'm very good at it, but I really enjoy the art of getting a sound in the room and how you can manipulate it to make a fun thing and a good thing overall. So... Oh, don't do yourself down. Like, you've made leaps and bounds. Yeah, it's been... I think it's... Yeah, it's a learning experience, I think, above and beyond anything. You know, we, we recorded the EP... And well, I don't know, we're all still really proud of it, but, you know, we, we've definitely talked about what we do differently moving forward mm-hmm. with the next round of recording. And I think that's not so much a mark of being inadequate with the previous recordings. Nice. It's just, it's us kind of learning, you know, we've not been a band collectively for that long. And so there's still a lot of learning mm-hmm. process of mm-hmm. kind of, you get into a studio and you kind of go, right, we're going to make notes to like, make noise together. But then there's a whole thought process of what is our sound. Yeah. you know on a production level not just a songwriting level and, and I, think I think on that first recording particularly when 90% of the decision making for how we record comes down to finances quite frankly because yeah. we just couldn't afford to go into a professional studio no. with a producer we had to do it all ourselves we had to do it all ourselves what we had it is that it's just little bits and pieces of the right microphones how mm. you you know, do you DI the bass or do you do you direct DI or do you do have R&M, those little bits and pieces. I think having another really experienced engineer, not so much to have better skill set, but just to bounce ideas off, I feel like makes would make a massive difference. Yeah, having for... somebody slightly removed from the actual playing of the songs. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Another ear. But either way, we basically do it ourselves. We hire out rooms in which to either do the drums on their own or the latest recording we've done has been more live. We basically just got into a large live room, put mics and everything, and just went, should we just play all of our songs and see what happens? I'm like, yeah, all right. <laughs> so we've done that, and that's been really, really fun, and hopefully we'll have stuff out from that soon in the next recording. I'm not going to say EP or album, because it's, I'm just going to call it a recording. That's still under discussion. It's still under confirmed. discussion. To be confirmed. Whether, Stay listening. Whether we have enough material. I think everyone... Is an agreement that it sounds better than the EP does already. Mm-hmm. Definitely. We just need to finish off a few little bits, 
do some of the collective listening and mixing and I mean something that we were talking about the re the main reason it sounds better is because we know the songs better even the newer oh, ones God, because yeah. we were gigging them yeah and that <laughs> that proves the importance of the pre-production that we didn't yeah. really do for the first EP we just we just learned the songs and just jumped did in them. there and, yeah. and did it as well. Whereas, yeah, so these ones we've been gigging them for months before mm-hmm. anyway. So we've we've done that, done trial the leg and error, work. Yeah. out, worked out our parts and the most of like the way we want to play them. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily how they were written initially, but like you know, there are things I've changed in guitar parts to songs that I'd written originally like a year ago that I've now changed on this recording because playing them live, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh wait, if I do that instead, it sounds good and it's easier for me to play. So. I'll change how I do it. And then that has led to where we are now. I think because of that, yeah, the songs gel more, they feel more fluid, they sound, I think, better. But yeah, we're going to have some stuff coming out this year, hopefully. Certainly, something yeah. this year. Which because will be what good. else are you going to do in lockdown? Well, <laughs> other than cry and drink and do them both at the same time, <laughs> not very much, no. I think a lot of bands, when they're thinking about should we invest in some gear and record ourselves or go into the studio see it from that financial point of view which is completely understandable and fair enough but there is another element to it too which is the sort of time aspect so if you go into a recording studio you have x amount of days to come out the other end with a record and the the sort of pressure's on in that way but if you're recording yourselves you have as much time as you need or want to really craft it and hone it. So do you find that that is an advantage or not? Both. No. It, it can be a double-edged sword. Like, I think you found it nice to go to go back and rework things. But to be honest, we did. The majority of the recordings for the EP were done by August last year. Yeah. And we didn't end up releasing the EP until February because it took that long to come up with a mix and a master that we were all happy all with. happy with. And, and, yeah. that was, and that was at the time I guess partially down to skill just because I hadn't really done that much of that stuff mm-hmm. before but, but it also, also it was also to be honest because you work full time you study you have a thousand and one other commitments that was a that yeah. have to come first and I think above and beyond we just I don't think we fully knew exactly mm. what we wanted to sound like and that's what Sarah said before about the pre-production stuff I think that kind of stuff really comes into play of mm-hmm. those aspects as well. And if so, we'd worked that out before we went into the studio, yeah, I think like, it would have taken less time. Yeah, I think there's like there's trade-offs to both. I think being under pressure can be really beneficial, but I think no, like having freedom to really use a recording space and really think of what you can do in terms of instrumentation and layering and all that sort of stuff can be really, really beneficial too. Mm-hmm. And I think you need to strike a balance. Ideally, if you're really wanting to record something beyond just three microphones and a, you know, like a kind of bootstrap live album, you know, or live recording in general. That said, I think if we had the choice, we were talking about it, we, we'd go and do a residential... Oh, God, yeah. Uh, so we, <laughs> if we had the bloody budget, if had, yeah. If we had the cash, I'd move like, get us to a villa in like Spain or something for a month. Cottage so. in Wales. Yeah, 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 yeah producer, get some right stuff now. in. No, absolutely. Sorry, villa, villa in Spain, it's warmer. Yeah. Oh, either way while they're on it there's a, like, I'm sure you'll get this as well Phil it's like I, I always like do a mix of the EP or from the songs that and then maybe just someone come back and go yeah it's not right it needs something make it the something and there's like I wish I could help with like the word because you always said like I feel yeah, sorry for not knowing the words to say. It's knowing like, it's knowing the criticism yeah. without the offering of how to fix said criticism. That's yeah. like from it from being completely unqualified and unskilled in terms of being on a, you know, on a producer side or an engineering side. Yeah, I don't think you or I, Justin, have any real kind of. Knowledge. No, next to yeah, very very. It's really not mixing. enough to like fine tune exactly what you're trying to do with it all and whatnot. But, you know, but I, I certainly learned a lot from the EP and it's a, I think it's just an ever-evolving process. Mm-hmm. So I, I think if we stop... he was very good at putting up with it. Oh, God, he tolerated us like a champ. <laughs> it's not quite right. I just... It's a bit... Um, waffly. Can you can you sort that? <laughs> it's a little bit misty in the middle section. I'm like, what? Why like, are you on a I, I do kind of know what you mean, but I don't know how to fix misty in a mix. <laughs> That's... Part as when it comes to mixing, speaking as a mixing engineer, that is a big part of it, which is interpreting a 
creative suggestion um, that is maybe not entrenched in technical terms into something technical. That's that's a big part of the challenge, I think. And I think I'm getting better at that. I think the EP was a very good learning curve. People going like, this sounds a little bit too hmm. I want it to be a bit more hmm. And yeah, like, it was that moment with the first the first mix where we sat in the car and I went, I'm, I'm not sure how to put this, Hugh, but the vocals really hurt. <laughs> can, we, can we stop them hurting, please? This is before I learned that pop shields were an incredibly useful tool to have. I do have a very difficult voice yeah, to record to yeah, be fair you, you have you have a really interesting voice because it's, it's really cool it's really it's got loads of character but it does peak a lot of that like two and a half k it's a very marmite voice sort of frequency quite, where you got yeah. that that well is it like certainly with this microphone the the sc2200t i've just seen what it is it's 2200t <laughs> not 2200a with that microphone and your voice when you're really belting it you do get a lot of that sort of yeah between two and three thousand hertz frequency which is just a little bit spicy it's not a bad thing Sorry. it's it, no it's really really cool <laughs> I, I've, I've just learned to how to control that within a mix and still have the character well, but also to be fair it's partly just trying to mix female dirty rock into vocals. loud rock music is quite even it's a bit I of think. an art and most producers don't do it that yeah, often but it's even, because there aren't enough of us it's even the mixing the, so my <laughs> my preferred bass sound tends to be more on the subbier hip hop S kind of sound when it comes to how I like my bass, you know, my bass being recorded. And there's so many rock recordings where the bass is really, really mid-scooped and really, really kind of that mid-punch that I'm not personally a fan of. Um, and so I think when it comes to kind of balancing out like a conventional rock sound that I, 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 I in a sense, don't have is another layer of challenge onto itself. And to Hugh's credit, I've been sort of given a lot of creative free reign on, you know, this is how I'm making, this is how it needs to sound for, you know, to have my personality come into mm-hmm. as well. And that's probably had its own layer of challenge in terms of then fitting that into a conventional rock recording as well. Um, and then not to mention, I guess, our own interpretation of what rock recordings sound good. True. You know, um, we're very, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there that musically is great, but production-wise, I don't think we're nece- we'd necessarily want to sound mm-hmm. like. I don't think um, we're, we're such a fan of, a lot of modern rock. The modern hardline compressed, everything mm. is at absolute peak all the way through. I think that sort of the pumping compression thing is a really... It's it's something we want to try and avoid. We want to, we want to be in two camps. We want to be in that vintage rock sound where everything is that little bit softer and a little bit more rounded, but you also want to have attack and volume. So it's like trying to have that balance of like a dynamic range, but also like consistent power. Yeah. It's two things that are really like well, technically very hard to do. I don't think it's necessarily about the volume. I mean, you and I both grew up on Zeppelin. Yeah. Which is is that kind of vintage rock, mm. huge dynamic range kind of thing. But you don't get that so much now. And it's interesting when you try and mix like that. Mm it doesn't necessarily stand up because we've got used to hearing everything so much louder. Yeah, there's so it's much so much ear hearing. conditioning. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Like, you're really trying to break cycles. Um, and I think it's just, like, wanting it to sound in a really abstract, in a word, authentic and organic. <laughs> and that's such a weird, like, not necessarily the right word to use. But well, because like, you want it to sound like that, but to get that, yeah, you can't it's, it's, just yeah. plug a microphone into a room and hit record anymore. no. Yeah. Which is irritating. <laughs> you, you, you may have noticed we ramble a lot. Sorry. So these That's answers right. you might want to filter down because <laughs> just edit me out entirely. Right? Just 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 what's the point of even doing this? We're gonna our answers are too long, frankly. I thought you were just Oh, there's no point. Right, go away. For anyone at home who has noticed that thing where bands like Led Zeppelin sound more dynamic and modern stuff sounds really loud then google the loudness wars and you will very quickly find out what's happening and why i'll let you do your own research on that no loudness wars are the death uh, i think of like truly interesting music not not interesting but like good sounding like like i said the the dynamic range just goes it's like because i I remember when um death magnetic came out the metallica (laughs) album and it's great you look at a waveform of it and it's just Mm. Um, it's just like there's no peaks and trough it is just pure noise I think I think it was the loudest album of all time when it came out in terms of like the mastering on it 
So much so that they had to do a remaster of it a year later because it kept like crackling up on certain systems because it was just ridiculous. I, I'll, I'll make a confession. I do like that album. Oh, I, I don't. I don't at all. You don't? No, no, not at all. Well, Sarah doesn't really... You're not really Metallica at all, are you? I'm the odd song. I'm a fan of some of their songwriting. I grew up certainly on the Black Album and a bit of Justice For All. And and the Override the Lightning was probably bigger for me than Justice For All. But. I, by contrast, I grew up in Elton John. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a bad thing. I mean, I will, I will say the last good album Metallica made was the Black Album. And it is a good album. That's it. That's it. Since then, it's all been downhill. So you said, obviously, you've been delving into the world of recording once again. But aside from that, what have you been doing as a band during the last seven months of sort of lockdown to stay productive? Not very Crying well. each other's shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, we, we, I've, I've been working online and just started back at uni online. Sarah has started at uni online as well, uh, certainly in the last month of the bit. And Justin has been working... Last two months. Last two um, months of it. Like, look, to be absolutely real, it's been pretty frustrating on so many levels because it's not just about, like, you know, it sounds so good to have free time to write and to be creative. We all want to be on stage. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, we don't... ultimately, that's, yeah, that's, that's exactly... where our happy place is. Yeah, so to have um, sort of no direct and line life, as to life when... has been fairly bleak for all of us in one yeah. way or another over the last... <laughs> yeah, months. definitely. Um, so it's been hard... It's been really hard to find the motivation, but I think we are, you know, it's been kind of quite bonding in a very kind of family kind of way, which Mm. has been really, really lovely because it's sort of currently pushed us all on to kind of take what victories we can and sort of push for what bits and pieces we we can do with what Mm. we've got, you know. Justin's been our bubble. It's great. Yeah, (laughs) like much of which has been like very appreciated being very, very far removed from my my homeland um, and my family. And so... Ultimately, like uh, recording stuff has been part of the agenda, and I think a lot of it's just been kind of even just conceptualizing ideas mm, um, and about... starting start having that time to think about long term or longer term game plan a little bit. Because we, I mean, we jumped straight into gigging, and it's been didn't... so it's been such a scramble for the last year and a bit. And I mean, um, we did we did no promotion for our first EP, no. It was just, we were ah! just so, it was the whole, the, the we just played that, the gig. Yeah, the, year that, the year that was up until the EP launch had been such a scramble in such a lovely way. And I think this, this time off has enabled us to kind of step back a bit and kind of consider, well, for that little bit of planning and organisation, mm-hmm. we could go on to do some really, really good stuff, you know, because we are, we are confident in what we do. We do feel we do something that people really respond to. It's, you know, so it's hard to, it's balancing out the ideas versus the reality that we're not going to see a stage necessarily anytime soon. Sadly. Just let, just <laughs> yeah, let that happen. Yeah. Sadly. Yeah, incredibly sad. He said that, that, that word and we're just like, oh, have a moment silence, silence for that. A moment silence for the live music scene. Yeah. Maybe a bit more positively, what are your goals as a band for the next sort of six months to a year-ish? What are our smart goals? Well, I was going to say world domination, but I think six months is a bit optimistic for that. Give that a year or two, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's our final I'd like to get a large beanbag, um, <laughs> you know, or a pet, but aside from that... Band pet. Band pet, yeah. Train an owl. Well. Um, oh, no, he doesn't like no, so, um, Oh, he doesn't like owls. Got, um, so there's, there's a few sort of... Get a, get a couple of singles out over the next sort of six months. Um, we have some very, very, very exciting news to announce in the not too distant future that we won't reveal for now. Um, no, we won't because okay. we're, we're we're just it's <laughs> not been made public yet, oh, okay. so we will not. But yeah, like got a few singles on the plant pipeline. We have started conceptualizing a music video for one of them as well. Mm-hmm. That's gonna um, be quite fun. So yeah, quite a lot of that stuff going on. Yeah, so it's it's full steam ahead, really. And then we're looking at potentially going and recording a longer EP or an album. Potentially. Yeah. That's the sort of next step. The road there is going to be tumultuous. Mm. Paved with good intentions. Very much so. I think it's difficult at the moment as well because our whole model of, well, sort of trying to pay our way, but just functioning as a band has all been built around live gigs. Mm. So suddenly when you're thinking, right, okay, let's record an EP and release it, we're going, well, 
well, we can't promote we it yeah. unless you <laughs> well, pay you, online. How do we and... promote it? We yeah. can't gig. Yeah. There are cogs that are still aren't turning, but some of them are. Well, they're turning, but they're... Just not attached to anything. Yeah. <laughs> it's just getting some solid traction there's, in play. There's yeah. steam, and then there's a random screw on the floor where we're like, is that meant to be part of something? Running around patching up the leaks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll get moving eventually. We're taking one, one every day at a time. Mm. And eventually I will have a large beanbag, and it'll be perfectly fine. Like, in fairness, as soon as you mentioned beanbag, I was like, oh, dude, I really want a beanbag. Can, can, we, have a, can we get a beanbag? Can I get them printed with the logo design? Yeah. Is, is that something if, that... If any listeners... Phil, Phil would, you buy, would you buy a land captain's beanbag? I already own two beanbags, so I don't know if I've got room for any more. Uh, well, you know what's, you three know is a magic number. Yeah, three is a magic number, <laughs> and it's got branding, Phil. Oh. <laughs> if any listeners to this podcast know somewhere where you can get a customised beanbag printed... If any, if any, if oh, any of you can just make them because you the do clever things with material. If any, Sorry, if any, you scratch the, that. Sarah if, can make them. It's if fine. If any of the listeners just want a land captain's beanbag, write to us. Know. Yeah, send us a message. We're very lonely. And a blank check, and we'll do it. Lovely. Um, so finally, to to close out the podcast, I'd like to ask you what your favourite song is that you would like to play for people, and hopefully you have all agreed one song to play. Clearly, Baby Shark is the, the best song of all. <laughs> Please don't, no, uh, don't. Oh my god! I... We actually, we actually had quite a lot of discussion over which of our favorite, which is our favorite song, because it's difficult. Most of our favorite songs haven't actually been released yet. Yeah, they're still yeah. To come. Actually, that's so true. <laughs> yeah, our favorite ones we can't get you to play because yeah. they're not done yet. Yeah. However, we, we could sing them a cappella, but that would not yeah, do them justice. That would be a terrible idea. However. So we, we landed on the idea of getting you to play Delta. The title track. The title track of our first EP, because we've been playing around with some ideas of doing an acoustic version and releasing it. A reimagined, re re-harmonised, um, re With, with multiple done. vocals on. We're, we're writing some different vocal parts. For different we've got other people. And, in, yeah. and it's all sounding rather beautiful. So it'd be so, nice to have a reminder of... How it used to sound because we haven't heard it like that. In a long yeah, time. yeah. Let's go for Delta from the um, from the first EP, and hopefully, if people keep their eyes and ears peeled to all of the internet things that we do, then you might hear it again in a slightly different way. Yeah. So, Just come down to Bristol, Just stand outside it. our bedroom window. Yeah, but we're I mean, not, not their bedroom; like someone else's, and we'll just like turn up. But like you know, we do that a lot. Yeah, we, yeah, we do. Just serenade random people in Bristol. Watch this space, like my face, and keep it ace, and we'll be all right. Like I'm, I'm really fond of. I like think that. you should be a t-shirt slogan writer. I should. That should be the new slogan for the podcast. Yeah. Music survival guide? Nah, this is... What was it? Like my face? Watch, no, watch this space. Like my face. Keep being ace. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, on that, note, <laughs> on that note... Thanks, Phil. Deeply offended. This, <laughs> this is Land Captains with Delta. Guys, it's been really good to speak to you. Thank it's been lovely you. to speak to you. Pleasure, and lovely to see your face in all its, its wide-angled beauty. Thanks. <laughs>